be with you, church. Uh, we welcome you to our gathering, uh, and I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke 17, and this evening our text will begin in verse 7. So Luke 17, beginning in verse 7 through verse 10. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? And does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, Say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a double-edged sword, that it trains us and it shows us who you are and who we are before you, God. And I pray that your spirit, Lord, would be at work among us today, Father, shaping us into the image of Christ. Lord, there are so many things uh, that tell us how we are to live and who you are, Lord. So many things that are just not true. So, Father, train us according to your word. Shape us and mold us for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we, are, we are a society that, at this point, we're Primarily, sadly, we're fueled by validation and affirmation. We see this in sports, in education. Uh, this, has, this has entered into the world of vocation, even ministry and family, the fuel that drives so many people forward is validation and affirmation. That's why we have participation trophies. Uh, that's why it's a thing. We reward not just accomplishing or winning, but we also have begun to reward participation. Um, so, on the other hand, because of that, we see less people who are driven by conviction and duty, people who are driven by responsibility, uh, principled commitment to a mission, People are becoming rare who are committed to assignment despite a hardship and criticism that comes their way. People who are steadfast to what they have been called to and assigned. And as we were reading this evening text, some of us probably thought, what strange words, Jesus? What, what are you talking about? Um, it, it goes against the grain of our current culture. And so what Jesus is doing is he's telling us a parable, and this parable is in the form of questions. He is asking three rhetorical questions to which the answer to these questions is obvious to the hearer. These questions are meant to lead us to a logical conclusion or a point that Jesus is making. Listen to the question that Jesus asks. 
Verse 7, the first question. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Our inclination, we want to say, yes, he's worked all day in the field. Of course we're going to say, yes, come and recline at the table. Yet the assumed answer is no. We know this, the answer is no because of how the next question is asked. Question two is verse eight. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? The assumed answer here is yes, that's what the master will say. Question three is verse nine. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commandment? We want to say yes, but the assumed answer here in this text is no. And at this point, Jesus, and the point that Jesus is making here, verse 10, the summation, so you also, when you have done all that you were commandment, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Clearly no participation trophies here in this text. And duty is elevated above any sort of validation, any sort of praise. And again, if we go back to the three questions, as, as we were re- reading the text, we ourselves today would probably answer all of them, the opposite of what the text demands. Let's take a look, closer look at this parable. In this parable, Jesus sets up this servant, or slave, as an example for us to follow. Jesus is calling his disciples to be like the servant in this story. Some, some context for the culture of that time. Um, in that culture, servants or slaves, they were part of just a normal part of society. Slaves would become slaves because they were captured at war, or they were just folk who got into lots of debt, and there was a way for them to become slaves, to sell themselves, to sell themselves into slavery um, so that they would be able to pay off their debt, and afterwards, after the, after the uh, slave, after he paid the debt, he had a chance also to repay whoever purchased him, and so he would work hard, save, and he was able to purchase his freedom. And after that, he can, you know, move up the social status. That's just, just what the culture of that time was, and Jesus uses one of these examples to point to prove a point. Even though slaves had an opportunity to purchase their freedom, as a slave, your responsibility, your duty, was to serve your master, to complete everything that he has commanded you. They were bound to their master. They lived to serve and fulfill their, his duties. Often they were considered the master's property. He had full control over their time and over their life. We see this happening in our parable. The servant worked all day in the field. 
He comes from work, and he has further duties. He has to go clean himself up. He has to go cook a meal. And then he has to serve his master. And only then does he himself sit down and eat. And Jesus says, after he's finished doing everything he needs to do, the master is not obligated. He's not supposed to thank him for what he was supposed to do. Again, this may seem very strange to us. This may seem rude to us. But this is a culture that didn't throw around thank yous and praises like we do. We, we, I, I catch myself all the time. I say thank you as just a filler word. It's horrible. You thanked people only when they did something they were not required to do. When it was truly an act of sacrifice and benevolence, you didn't get a pat on the back when you did what you were supposed to do. That was your duty. People didn't really flatter each other with empty praises. And if someone would flatter you, people would suspect you. They would be like, what is he manipulating me to do? That's why the Bible has so much uh, warnings against flattery and flatterers and warnings to us to be careful when people praise us and flatter us. And so Jesus uses this parable to show a parallel that exists between us and God. Jesus says, verse 10, So you also, just like the servant, when you have done all that you were commanded, at the end of your life, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, we live in a highly individualistic culture, um, there's a lot of good that comes from that and a lot of things that we enjoy because of that. But for us, this very notion uh, to be compared to a slave is, could, could be very offensive because we value autonomy. We value self-rule. We value independence. But the Bible uses these different ways uh, to describe our relationship with God. For example... We see that he's a creator and we are creatures. It, it gives, a, it gives us uh, this, this picture of our place and God's place. He's the creator. We are creatures. We also see the Bible describes our relation to God as he is our father. We are his children. We also see a description of that Christ is our brother. We, he, we see that he is our friend, or that he is the head and we are the body. And all of these analogies are meant to prove and to show something about our relationship with God. There's also many ways scriptures describes our, our, our walk with Christ. We are like athletes, we're runners or boxers. We are like farmers or we are like soldiers and so on. The Bible uses these descriptions to underline certain aspects of our relationship to God or our uh, walk with God. And so in today's text, we see one more way that scriptures describes our relationship to God, and it is that he is our Lord, he is our master, and we are his servants. As we will see, this language is used all over scriptures. 
The Bible teaches that there is no truly free man. The Bible teaches that we are all slaves. There is no neutrality. And there are only two masters. There's a good master and an evil one. We're either slaves to God or we are slaves to unrighteousness and sin to the kingdom of darkness. And the question is not if we are slaves. The question that we should be asking is to whom are we enslaved? Because all of us are enslaved. All of humanity belongs to one or another. This is a very important point to understand. Satan is a cruel master. He is a tyrant. He hates God. He has rebelled against God. And so naturally he hates man. Because man is created by God to reflect the image and the glory of God. And so Satan is working constantly to subvert and corrupt man so that he would not live for the glory of God. God, on the other hand, is a good master. He created us for himself. He knows us. He created us to worship and to enjoy him. Before Satan subverted man in the garden, we see this beautiful picture of man's fellowship with his Lord and creator, God. Fellowshipping with him in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve are imaging, they're, they're reflecting their creator here on earth. So these are the two masters, and we belong to one or the other. And so going back to the parable, Jesus doesn't just call us servants. I mean, that's offensive enough, you know, to some of us living today. Like, Jesus calls me a servant, a slave. But he also says, we are unworthy servants. Why does Jesus tell us, why does he tell his disciples that they are to call themselves unworthy servants? Let's go back to the garden again. Before the fall, before sin, before Satan enters into the world, God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful, be, uh, go multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. He commands to them a mission. He gives them a purpose. He gives them a job to complete. And let's just imagine, let's just imagine for a moment that they did this. And at the end, that they have completed everything that God has told them to do. It was executed perfectly. No screw-ups, no mistakes. They did not sin. Let's just imagine that they did that. And they stand before God. All they can say is, we are your servants. We have done what was our duty. They don't get a pat on the back. They don't get praise. They did exactly what God has called them and created them to do. Yet that is not what happened. Not only did Adam fail to do what he was supposed to do, he also did what God has forbid him to do. He went against the command 
of God. He sinned. He failed. And with Adam, we all disobeyed. Not only did we not do what we were supposed to do, we did what God has forbidden us to do. We went against the commands of our creator and sustainer. We disobeyed God. And in doing so, we have fallen under the wrath of God, under the rule of Satan, the tyrant. He became our master. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We became children of wrath, condemned to eternal hell. Our sin made us unworthy of God. It separated us from God. Yet in his goodness and kindness, God did not treat us as we deserve. He loved us while we were still sinners. And through Christ, he redeemed us. He purchased us to himself, forgiving us our debt of sin. And ultimately, restoring us back to himself so that we again are his servants. He is now our master through Christ and not Satan. Yet as God restores us, we are unworthy servants. We are not worthy of his love. We are not worthy of the kindness that he lavished on us. We are unworthy of Christ leaving behind the glory of heaven to lay down his life for us. We do not deserve to even be called his servants. And so as unworthy servants of God, not only must we serve him and not expecting a pat on the back or a thank you from God, but as servants, we are to be filled with gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving that we get to serve our God. And so at the end of the day, not only, are we, not only should we not expect a thank you to God, but we should be filled with gratitude and praise to God that we get to be his servants, restored to our creator. When you have done all that you were commanded, Say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And thank you, Father, for making us your servants. The point of this parable is, first and foremost, we are not our own. We belong to God fully and completely. He has purchased us with the precious blood of his son, Jesus. We are not our own. Every second of your time, every breath of your lung, every penny of your wealth, every ounce of your strength belongs to God. We are not our own. We belong to him. There is no corner or crevice of your life that is not God's. He demands it all. It's all his We are his. That's the first point. And the second point of this parable is that there is no amount of work that we can do to somehow even out the ledger, to somehow even out the balance sheet between us and God. 
We are forever indebted to him. Before the fall, there was no way for Adam, uh, for God to be in debt to Adam. How much more now? For example, if you buy a house, you get a 30-year mortgage. For 30 years, you will be paying off your debt. And if you work a little harder, throw some extra money at that mortgage, you can pay it off in 20, 15, 10 years. And then you come to the bank and then you say, thank you for your services. I believe my house is paid off. Hand over the title free and clear. You've paid off the balance. You own this house free and clear. And if you accidentally, last payment made in $500 overpaid, you can demand that money back from them. Hey, I believe I overpaid you guys. At no point can we come to God and say, all right, God, thank you for all that you have done for me. I've worked for 10, 20, 30 years for you. I've served you faithfully. I think I've paid off the debt. Now I'm free. Now I can just live and enjoy my life before I die. You can't say that to the Lord. Even if it was possible for us from this moment on to live perfectly, to not commit a single day sin again, and to fulfill every single command that God has given us. At the end of the day, you have only done what God has commanded you to do. That's it. At the end of the day, you have only done what your duty was. And you did not even begin to pay off the debt that you owe to God. Let alone God somehow owing us something. We cannot stand before God on the last day and say, I went to church for 50 years. I served. I tithed. I raised my kids in the way of the Lord. I was faithful to my spouse. I served my community. I prayed for and ministered to the sick and to the poor. Therefore, I deserve it to be in this kingdom. God's going to say, that's what you were supposed to do. It doesn't earn you the right to come into the kingdom. Jesus says, after you do all that you were supposed to do at the end of the day, God does not even owe us a thank you. He doesn't. Let alone let us sin into the kingdom based on what we have done. We are unworthy sinners. I know that might sound cold to some of us, especially living in a culture that moves and breathes on pats on the backs and affirmations. But we have to understand that what God is calling us to, what God has given us already, is something infinitely better than all the thank yous and praises and affirmations that we can receive for our work. Christ has already given us something better. Here's what it is. Here's what God has given us. And this is very important. If there's anything that you can take from this sermon, take this. Here's what God has given us. And it's way better than pats on the backs and affirmations. God loved us while we were enemies. God loved us while we were sinners. 
God loved us fully and completely before you have done any good deed. And listen, no amount of work, because of this, because God has loved you at your worst, this means that no amount of work and service can increase his love for you. There's nothing that you can do to impress God even more because he has already loved you completely, completely. There is no, it's, it's max. We don't know where the max is. It's, for eternity, we will not know. But know this, that God has loved you completely in Christ. That's where we start. That's where we begin. His love for you is not dependent on your performance. You don't need to impress him. You don't need to win his favor over because he already loves you fully. We should not be looking to God for validation, for love, for praise, for pats on the back in every step of obedience that we take. It's not the way we are to operate as Christians. No, we must already rest in the fact that we are already fully and completely loved and cherished by God in Christ. So we must be, on the contrary, instead of looking for validation, we must be filled with gratitude. We must be filled with grateful hearts and work diligently and do all that God has commanded us. And then after a lifetime of service and hard work, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And listen, when we come before him, he will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. He will tell us that. He will give us rewards. He will give us the eternal kingdom. We will be with him in glory forever and ever. But none of it, none of these blessings, not even the rewards are given to us because we have earned them or God is somehow indebted to us. No, he will give them to us purely out of his good pleasure and will. Just take it. Because I'm a kind and gracious father. I give good gifts. You did not earn this, but take it. Eternity will be more and more grace. More and more riches of his kindness and love coming our way. Never ending. Never ending. Just constantly God giving us And it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who he is. Church in Christ, God fully and completely accepts and loves his children already. Rest in that. And work from that. When we look at the apostles, we see that they fully understood this parable. And this was very evident in their life. This empowered them to work. All of them considered themselves servants of Christ. Romans 1.1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ, Jesus. 
James 1.1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simeon, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Revelations 1.1, John calls himself a servant of Christ. Notice, this is in the first chapter and in the first verse of uh, of their opening letter. They don't hide it somewhere in the back. They come first. They introduce themselves first to the churches. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Out of all of the things that they can identify, they could have said, I'm a brother of Christ. I'm a son of Christ or, or whatever. The number one thing that the apostles used is, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, writes, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with, with, that is with me. Paul the apostle, he worked harder than all. And he did not even dare take credit for his work. Being rooted in the love and in the acceptance of God through Christ, he knew that it was this very grace of God that was working through him to empower him to persevere to endure, and to complete the duty and the mission that God has placed before him. And we know how hard that was for him. Yet he persevered because he was rooted in the love of the Father towards him. And that grace propelled him to go forward and complete the mission that God has set before him. So he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts... And Paul had a lot to boast about. Let him boast in the Lord. He knew that all of his work has been empowered by God. So now, coming back down to us here in the room, as unworthy servants of Christ, I hope that's what all of us are, what is our duty? Christ speaks of duty here. He speaks of this mission that we are to do. What is our duty? A lot of times we overcomplicate things. And we seek something out there that will give us meaning, that will give us purpose. And we completely forsake the life-giving mission and duty that he has already given to us. Below is a list that I compiled, but it's not my list. It's God's list. It's Christ's list to us of our duties. If you don't like your duty, as you hear it, take it up with God. I'm just the messenger. But I would say, as we think about what is our mission, what is our duty, I, this is this 
this list for like 95% of what we are supposed to do. If you're doing this, know that you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. So children, we'll begin with you. What is your duty? What God requires of you is to obey and give honor to your parents. Obey and honor them not looking for approval or praise, but obey and honor them because you are already loved by your parents. And even more perfectly, you're already loved by God. This is your duty from God. Singles, what is your duty? What God requires of you is that you be self-controlled, faithful, and pure before him. If you don't have the gift of celibacy, use this time to prepare yourself to one day have a family. Study what it means to be a husband, a father. Study what it means to be a wife, a mother, and prepare yourself for that task. And use all the extra free time that we married people don't have to serve the the body of Christ. This is your duty from God. Do it knowing that you are already perfectly loved and accepted by your Father. Mothers, wives, what is your duty? What God requires of you is to devote yourself to your husband, and to your children. Be a faithful helper and companion to your husband. Honor and respect him. Multiply his work for the glory of God. You ladies have that gift somehow to multiply, make great the work that we husbands do. Submit to him as the leader of the family. God requires you to love him. And to love your children. This is your duty from God. Do it knowing that you are already perfectly loved and accepted by God. Fathers, husbands, what is our duty? What God requires of you is to faithfully lead your household, that you are a head over whether you want to be or not. God requires that you love your wife that you live in an understanding way with her, leading her through the sanctifying word of God. God requires you to raise your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, not provoking them to anger. He requires you to provide for the needs of your family. This is your duty from God. Do it knowing that you are already perfectly loved and accepted by your father. Older women and men, what is your duty? On top of what has already been spoken, what God requires of you is to teach and train younger men and women to be faithful husbands and fathers, mothers and wives, not to squander the wisdom that you have accumulated over the years, but to pass it on to the next generation. This is your duty from God. Do it 
knowing that you are already loved and accepted by the Father. In our work, as we provide for our family, what is our duty? What God requires of you is to obey your boss, work with a sincere heart, not people-pleasing, but as servants of Christ, working as for the Lord. You could see here Paul is calling us to be rooted in the love and acceptance of our Father. What is our duty as members of the church and the body of Christ? What God requires of us, what he has commanded to us, is to use our gifts that God has given us to edify his church and to bring glory to God and not to yourself. God also commands all of us to make disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And this great mission is completed by all of us doing all our small part in it. This is your duty from God, church. Do it knowing that you are perfectly loved and accepted by the Father. Every epistle begins by declaring the reality of God's grace to us sinners. It grounds us in the truth. And then out of that, every epistle calls us to obedience. And when they define, when the apostle define obedience, this is the list that you will find over and over and over again. Church, this is our mission from God. This is what he has commanded us to do. Be perfectly okay with it. It is God's expectation of you. I know the world puts all sorts of expectations on us and we lose our mind trying to find something out there that we should do to find ourselves. This is the mission. This is the duty. This is what God will ask of you on the last day. There's nothing else that he requires of you. This is it right here. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. This is how we do it. Our life is not our own. We don't get to dictate and come up with our own mission and duty for our life. It has already been assigned to us by God. We are his unworthy servants called to embrace and do what he has commanded us to do. And listen, when we perform our duty, the mission that God gave us as unworthy servants, not looking for affirmation and praise and pats on the back, but knowing that we are already loved and cherished fully and complete, completely by our God, when we do that, this truth protects us from so many pitfalls and dangers. And I'll just mention two of them. These are big. First, it protects us from pride. When we work and when, we, and when God blesses our work, when we see success, knowing that we are unworthy servants protects us from pride before God and before man. We are able to be humble because we know that we are unworthy to even be called his servants. We work hard, though it is not us. We see blessing and success, though it is not us, but the grace 
of God that is with us. It protects us from pride. It also protects us, the second piece is from the fear of man. When the fuel that drives us to complete our God-given duty is not the fact that we're already loved and accepted by God, but praise and affirmation of other people, the smallest amount of criticism that comes our way will be enough to throw us into, into disarray. As soon as praise and affirmation stops flowing, we dry up. We check out. We abandon the mission that we were on because we were, not do, we were doing it in the first place for the praise of people and not as unworthy servants who are rooted in love of God. Finally, as we close, let's look to Christ and see how he performed his duty and his mission. We can all agree that Jesus' mission is greater, harder than anything that God calls us to that we've read about ourselves. Jesus' mission is so much harder. Our responsibilities fade in comparison to what Jesus was assigned. He was not an unworthy servant. He was not even a servant. He's king. He is Lord. He is the eternal son of God who dwells in glory and power by the power of his word. He created everything that exists and by the power of his word, he holds the molecules of the universe together. And this Jesus humbled himself. He became a servant. He submitted himself to his father. He entered into this broken world, took on flesh to live a life we failed to live and to die a death that we deserved, resurrecting on the third day in glory. And Christ did all this work without flattery, without the approval of man, without praise or validation of people. On the contrary, he was criticized, he was ridiculed, he was despised, he was betrayed, he was denied, he was killed. And he did it being rooted and grounded in his father's love for him, his father's pleasure in him. And we see this, we, we know this, we know that Christ was rooted in this because the two times when God spoke in Christ's ministries during his baptism and on the mountain of transfiguration, the voice of God came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am, well, in whom I am pleased. Listen to him. Christ was rooted in his father's love for him and pleasure in him. And that is what powered, empowered Christ to be a servant, to submit to the duty and to the mission that his father set before him. And church, this is what we are to do. We are to be empowered. This is what should empower us to do all that Christ has commanded us and the mission that he so clearly set before us.
when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that while we were dead in our sins, your enemies, hating you, despising you, you loved us. And you gave your most precious son for us, who left the glorious heavens to become one of us. To live a life that we could not live. To die in our place. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that when we look at Jesus, when we look at his life, his death and resurrection, we see how much you love us. Father, may your spirit ground us and root us in this love and this acceptance. Knowing that on the cross, you have taken away everything that stood against us, all the debt, all the judgment, all the wrath has been satisfied. Father, help us rest in that. And Father, may this empower us to serve you and worship you with all of our lives because we are not our own. We were bought with the precious price. Father, help us to glorify you, not with just our speech, not with just a few thoughts here and there, but help us to glorify you with our bodies every moment of our life, God. It belongs to you. Lord, we thank you that you have made us your servants. And oh, we are unworthy servants, Father, and we thank you that you made us your own. And for those who do not know you, for those who are still under the bondage of Satan, under his tyranny, living in unrighteousness and in their sin, Father, I pray that your spirit would resurrect their souls to yourself. May they taste and see how good you are and how gracious you are, Father. How better it is to serve you than the tyrant and our enemy. Lord, do this work among us. You are our only hope, Father. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word puts us in our place. Forgive us that so often we think we can demand things from you, Father. May our hearts, on contrary, be overfilled with praise and worship. And may we run, Lord, out of this joy to serve you and to do all that you have commanded us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.